We've got some fresh new young talent doing some things that I know you haven't heard before. One, two, three, listen. You gotta have a like the why, and we know our why. So you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yep. Millions and millions of people have done this already. You can get help, you can get a roadmap, you can save a lot of time, money, and frustration. <laughs> Welcome to the Value Add Podcast with K&K. Hey, everybody. Value Add with K&K. Crystal Kenny here. Just want to say thank you so much for the support, for listening, um, the comments, everything. Keep it up. We'll keep going as long as we can. And if you like what you're listening to, like what you're watching, uh, tell your friends about it, leave us a review, maybe even give us five stars. We love those. That's how we can grow and continue to bring you guys value and spread the word. Thanks, guys. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Value Add with K&K. Today we have Mike Simpson, a.k.a. Mikey, a.k.a. my big brother, a.k.a. you'll never find him on Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn or YouTube or anywhere. So give it up now. He's Woo-hoo. not on there. That was quite an intro. You like that? that was. Nice. A.k.a. Yeah. A.k.a. You'll yeah. find me quick. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Mike's my older brother. I think he's older by what five years. I don't know how much older is he. Are you five years older? Uh, stop. We don't, <laughs> we don't even know. We don't even know. I'm pretty sure we're not keeping track of that. Um, so he runs, gosh, a family business. I don't know how long it's been, but Island Queen, Biscayne Yacht Charters. There's a restaurant. There's some storage stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on over there. Um, so Mike, thanks for coming in. On your family vacation. And maybe Mike can tell us about all the stuff that he does. Yeah, tell us about the business, how long it's been in, how it started. And like how many businesses and what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll start back with Grandpa. Um, Our main business is uh, sightseeing tour business uh, out of Miami, Florida. And our grandfather started this business probably, I don't know the exact date, but it's probably somewhere 75 years ago. Um, out of the same location that we're at now. Um, the location today is called Bayside Marketplace, which is a big tourist mall, downtown Miami. Back then it was called, um, a lot of people might know of it, the Pier 5. You see some of the famous pictures and posters they use all around the United States. Um, back then it was uh, multiple different sightseeing companies. It wasn't the only one. And it kind of just went through transition over the years with the development of Miami from... Um, there was a saying back in the day, back in then, was get out of Dodge after 5 o'clock. So yep. it was a daytime business. After 5, you, you weren't around the park unless you maybe had an AK-47 and a bulletproof vest. Um, and it's changed a lot. So downtown Miami grew over the years. Um, grandma and Grandpa sort of uh, kind of handed it over to uh, our aunt and uncles. And our, our mom and dad sort of, uh, I guess, Came up with a little partnership and ran it for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, when our parents stepped back out of it, and Bowie and Chuck, who are uh, aunt and uncles, um, sort of took it over and ran it there, and it became pretty successful with the transition of downtown Miami. It went from that five o'clock out of Dodge to where it sort of turned into that twenty-four hour vibe. Um, and a mall called Bayside Marketplace, which is a large tourist mall, has been there now for. It's so over 20 years now. Um, it's right next door to the Heat Stadium. Right literally. next to the Miami Arena, heart so of downtown you know Miami. Um, and one of the beauties of Bayside Marketplace, it's this open-air atmosphere that's located right on a marina uh, with live music, a lot of different vibes happening. And 
one of those special scenarios is the 24-hour liquor license that they've had, which is kind of a rare scenario. There is no uh, it's a 24-hour liquor license on top of it's the liquor license is the whole mall. So everybody has their individual liquor license, but you're allowed to actually move around the facility with an alcoholic beverage. That's cool. Something you don't really hear about no, in a lot know of that. locations. I never so really... If you go to a lot of different places, you have to pour your drink out or yep. you have to go to the next one. So you're able to sort of navigate and mingle around the whole mall. So it added that little twist of vibe that just sort it's of like helped Vegas. set it apart. It's yeah. Vegas. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's been over times. And then um, I've been involved in the business for – it's been since probably about 13 when I started doing circles around the bay on the weekends, hanging out with uh, dad and uncle. Um Kind of roaming downtown as a young kid. It was a different world back then. So I could hop on a bicycle <laughs> at 13, 14 and sort of navigate my way around all the hotels in downtown Miami. Um, and as I just kind of went through those couple of years through high school, um, aspects of life sort of happened uh, amongst some of our, our family and just the way the business run. Um, and I was able to become a, a larger player in managing and understand the business. And at that time, I wasn't necessarily just running the business. I was sort of managing and helping out in all of, you know, a lot of different angles. I didn't necessarily wear one hat. I wore all multiple hats. And day by day went by, I sort of realized where we had different voids and where we had a lot of potential to grow, where we can prove ourselves, where we were doing good things. Um, and I was able to sit on the sidelines for years as a kid and watch that interaction. And, and thank goodness I had enough brains uh in my mind to sort of understand where in the future i could be a part of it and it just so happened that um i was able to become a partner of the business and probably for the last good 15 years i've been running the business um as the managing partner running the partner with basically silent partners um we do have a couple family members another uncle that's within the business um has some ownership, but pretty much I, I oversee the entire operation. And, and you ask what the operations are. So we have a large sightseeing business. We have a private yacht side, which is what we do, the high-end private yachts. And we were joking around earlier, you know, so anywhere from Dwayne Wade's birthday party to uh, weddings, weddings, high-end corporate to, uh, you know, Anything anybody wants to have on that yacht in Miami and sort of, you know, at the highest level. And, done and I'm sure you have some time. interesting stories. The way you're smiling. A lot is of like, good stories, oh right. But, you know, it's kind of like Vegas, too. It's, a, yeah. it's an element of respect. It's somebody's evening on the water and the yacht, it's, it's really their evening. And that's one of the things I've learned about this business is, you know, to be successful and have that good reputation, the social media side of it or me running out and publicizing all that is, is not the best scenario for me as far as who was on the yacht or what's happening on the yacht, sort of, you know, what happens on the yacht stays on the yacht, yeah. right? So, sort of but that's actually true because I've heard um, what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas yeah. a lot. So. The yacht's a little easier to sort of keep it encompassed. Yeah. That's a good but, point, though. Um, yeah. So we also have a restaurant right on the water called Tradewinds. We've had that for about uh, almost 15 years now. We have a little cafe um, all within Bayside Marketplace. Um, we do have a little property outside of Bayside where we do um, – we have some property on the water and we have some, a, a few um, houses, single-family homes that are associated with the business that we rent out. Um, but we do have tenants on the water. We have a, a, we're have blessed to have a beautiful location on the Miami River, so we have our own boatyard. And also within that location, we have a number of different tenants that are mainly involved in the large seafood uh, business, which is uh, the commercialing lobsters, stone crabs, and commercialing fish. Um, as they've gotten squeezed out with all development, I've made a great, you know, sort of relationship with some of the larger guys that are very successful, and they're 
been great tenants. Um, so we, we sort of work side by side within the property and you don't have to babysit them maybe like in the apartment world, sort of say. So yeah. that aspect's pretty cool. Um, we have a photo aspect to our business that we used to run in-house, but we sub that out now. So they, we have, a, you know, basically every tourist and everybody that gets on the boats, it's that photo business. Um, we employ between all the business probably somewhere around 250 employees. Wow. Uh, part-time could be another 50, 60, depending on the season, depending on what's Sheesh. happening. Um, it's a lot of personalities to manage. A lot of personalities. Yeah. And I think that's probably been one of the biggest growing aspects for me is having to learn with the lack of common sense and dealing with those personalities. <laughs> um, is always a challenge. Uh, that's the way I grew up and the way my work ethics and motivation life were. It, it, sometimes you have to take that deep breath to, to realize that, you know, not everybody understands that or has that. Um, so that's the, some of the challenging parts. And, and Miami is a very, very large melting pot of cultures. So you, you have to sort of understand that every aspect could be looked at differently just from a culture point of view. Um, so it's, it's, uh, that aspect of is challenging at times and sort of managing that and dealing with all the personalities. Um, well, Miami, I mean, I know you say it all the time, but everybody always, the nickname is even outside of my, cause I hear it now is the closest city to the United States. Yeah, so I use that a lot. Somebody says, "Where are you? Where do you? Where are you from? Where do you live?" I say, "I'm a, I live in the closest city, to the United States." Um, so Miami is just a large melting pot. I'm born and raised in Miami, so I'm proud to say that. Um, I haven't left. I'm not scared of it. I love the vibe, but it's a melting pot. So over over the years, you learn that uh, you know we have South Americans, we have Europeans, we have um, Russians, you know, everything. every everything. aspect from the, all over the world, which is part of the vibe and excitement. But on the same side of it, there's a, there's a balance of understanding what's respectful, what's not in different cultures. Um, just, for instance, in the Spanish languages, one word might mean something that's okay, and another culture may not be acceptable. So, <laughs> so navigating your way through it is, is, for myself, has always been a learning experience, and I continue to learn every day with it. Yeah, Miami's like... Um like people that don't go there or go there, I, I mean, you look at it way differently because people go there, they just go right into Miami, they go right to South Beach and they're like, that place is just a party vibe. And then, which I've been there, done that. But also too is we go there and you just go in there and we're like, let's go on the water. And there's a whole nother vibe. There's like a party vibe. There's a um, go on the water vibe and get off the land. Like, well, it's great for like water sports in general, right? Like surfing and kiteboarding and fishing and Diving, diving and, and you know all those things i mean so i mean it, uh, naturally our, our our nature mother nature's it's some of the priceless i mean you know kind of like what you guys hear sometimes you might take it for granted then you drive over you know freeway and you look off to the right and you see that beautiful view or sitting at our sister's house coming down the street and sometimes you realize let's take just take a moment and realize what you've got so miami's the same thing um i think one of the aspects that i have not done is i don't take it for granted so every morning i i live on miami beach not on south beach on the mid beach but when i drive over that causeway i realize this is a you know, it's one of a kind situation so whether it's sunny whether it's gloomy it's rainy every day has that little twist but you know that's sort of your motivation to one Work for yourself and keep your own drive and realize that, you know, you're, you're in a great spot. So allow Mother Nature to be that positive aspect of it. And like you said, it can 
supply. Our surfing isn't good as California naturally, yeah, but we have beautiful f- paddle boarding. We have fishing. We have clear crystal waters. The water's the bo- a hell of a lot warmer. The water's <laughs> yeah. not, not even a, yeah, that's yeah. a whole yeah. other conversation. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, we have the Bahamas, which is real close. So, yep. you know, Kenny's familiar and, you know, our boat ride, you're in another country in the Bahamas enjoying the island life. So it, it, it has tons to offer. It's absolutely. I mean, that's why your guys' businesses thrive because people that go there, um, like what, like some of the sightseeing you do is somebody will typically, what is it? They, they get on a boat, they go an hour and a half. They're going to go see, what are they going to see when you take them outside? So we call it the millionaires row cruise. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, the homes of the rich and famous. So we do, you know, daily 365 days a year, uh, probably 12, 14 hours a day. It's an hour and a half cruise and it's narrated English and Spanish. And it takes you around all the, you know, the beautiful sights of Miami on the water. Some of the surrounding islands, which is what we call millionaires row, just the different developments, the skyline. You know, it's just ever-changing views is what we call it. The wildlife, you got porpoises and the birds in the background and manatees. So it's it's not just a touristy. It's sometimes it's a it's a getaway for a local or if yeah. it's the nighttime or sunset. Um, and that's our main sightseeing business. And then a lot of times those boats can be, you know, chartered out privately for an educational um, kids trip from an elementary school mm-hmm. or something. So it does add so many different aspects uh, of business just that mother nature aspect so yeah it's funny because you just mentioned they're open every day yeah that's crazy well i mean i know too for you around the holidays like we don't even get to see you during the holidays where everybody's together because those are some of the biggest days for business and people are always like why is mike i'm like yeah that to what what is it the two weeks from when christmas or new year's eve is like crazy for like sight everything huh it is it's a big week and that's where miami and, and places probably just like a los angeles or you know certain aspects oh. around the world is when you have that New Year's, Christmas, there's so much going on in the city. Those, that is our big week. And growing up in this business, you know, you realize it's the holidays. And as, it's, you know, as having a family, there's a balance. But, you know, this is the lifestyle. And, and so the week after the holidays, you're wide open and you can relax. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you, it's, it's being understanding that to me, I don't look at it as a negativity. It's the holidays. I don't label my life like that. I don't label every day like a weekend to me is another day, another day. So um, Monday to Saturday really doesn't have any difference in my mind. You know, I treat every day as a, it's, it's life. So owning your own business, running your own business, having your own family, it's a seven day a week business. It's 365 days. So I'm not a label guy day of the week. I know I got to keep a schedule, but uh, holidays or weekends or weekdays, it's really, it's Just the same day. day for me on a calendar. Absolutely. It's yeah. kind of similar. That's similar. I mean, I think yeah. most of the time we don't even know when holiday. So many people look forward to this holiday or that holiday. What are you doing for Labor Day? What are you doing for Memorial Day? And I'm like, when is when is that? <laughs> most of the time, yeah. I don't. Even I mean, know. his is crazier because it's yeah. like it's but, always. But, but you're always. right with employees. That was one of the things we learned too. Is when you're used to working for yourself. You don't even notice these things, but then you have employees who need to take that time off or need paid va- vacations, paid it's not holidays. Their business. It's not their business. Paid all of that stuff. So that is a big shift um, and dealing with personalities when they're on your payroll. I mean, I'm not sure about Florida, but California, I think the employee, the employment laws are pretty crazy and pretty strict. So you have to be really careful with all those things. I'm sure they have similar stuff. And what you say. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the challenge, you yeah. know, and that's part of the 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 there's two aspects of that. One is we go back to the melting pot and the culture, and some of those aspects may go away. 
Yeah. And they're actually brought up on different days because that culture doesn't celebrate the same holidays, that's right? True, huh? yeah. So that's one aspect. But the other aspect is, is as I've grown up in the business and, and we've had to hire more people, that's one of the things you learn and, and never thinking I was going to have an HR department and now having multiple people in the HR department, you learn that hiring in the beginning is really important to educate, you know, what the job description is and what it portrays and what days does it involve and that how our business thrives around holidays and, and that's how our business develops revenue and grows, which means bonuses and raises. So you try to translate that to the employee to make sure that, you know, they understand that from the get go. Yeah. So you, you, you try to minimize that. But Human instinct is anytime it's a holiday, sometimes emotions come out. And it's not just holidays. It, it's it's the births of babies, uh, family celebrations, and, and many different things that you find that you, know, you have to navigate through and handle with a kick glove and, and trying to find that right balance of life to you know, have employees and, and have employees want to work for you for a long time. For sure. Yeah. Um, so let's go back. I know we're going to, we're going to go back to the business, but we're going to go back, uh, or we can call it way back now. Cause we're all getting old here. Old. Huh? Old. I'm saying I'm old now. <laughs> um, so we always say we grew up in the 305 or what's for most people, it's Miami, but we call it the 305. Um, and you people hear people like, uh, Rick Ross, or uh, what's his name, Miss Pitbull. There's, there's a reason why we call it. There's just a reason why we call it. I mean, it's hard to describe where you live there, but um, so I think with like my brother, I always remember my brother. Like you, just you know, I don't know if it was just probably how we were raised, but we were always just like on the go or hustle or doing something. Like we were always doing something. But my brother was always doing some type of business. Like he's trying to sell us candy or somebody candy at school. Like always a hustle. Um, was your first business technically it was the yard business, right? My probably the yard business. Um, but the funny note with the candy was, um, <laughs> I think when I went to junior high, which is basically where my son is going now, sixth grade, <laughs> I remember, um, you know, we rode our bikes back then to schools a couple miles away. And, and so you learned what the time limit was to ride your bike to school from home and if mom was looking when you were going to be home and you could ride faster to the corner candy store and be back home and she wouldn't realize that she just purchased 10 20 in candy and then that the next day you would be selling that in junior high so um yeah the, the candy business was fairly successful in junior high um so but yeah as far as the real business was probably the lawns um, when did you start that what age i can't remember uh, probably the end of junior high. I mean, because we didn't drive or anything like that. So we had to be driven on the way houses. Our, our dad did help us, uh, you know, to drop off. But mostly in the neighborhood. And, and, you know, you were there running around helping. Um, we had that. We had. So we had this. I don't even know why they bought this piece of shit car. Like the yellow Volvo. The yellow <laughs> oh, Volvo. my. This thing was in the shop. I mean. It was pretty bad. Oh. So. It was the yellow Volvo was the, what do you call it? Where the wagon, the you hatch, open the back. The station wagon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'd have to put the lawnmower, you know, you prop it up. You got to put the legs down, put it in there, the weed whacker, everything. We'd get in there and they drop Mike off to all these properties. Some were in the neighborhood. He'd be pushing the lawnmower all over. We'd go push it. I don't even know. It could be a half a mile, whatever. Yeah. We'd just push or, it around. Or and you would help me sometimes on the weekends. And we would, when I was younger. When we would uh, tow it on the bike and you would sit on the back of the, uh, the peg bars <laughs> and pull the the lawnmower down and all the equipment would be um, 
you know, towing behind it. So, yeah, I mean, and I, you know. How many yards did you have? At thinking. one point, I think I probably had 10, 11 yards. Um, and, and I do remember I was, uh, you know, going into high school, I was able to save, you know, 15,000, 20,000, which yeah. I thought wow. was a huge deal back then. That's big now, um, even. No, what no, kid no, do you know save you, that much money? You, what year did you enter high school? I always talk years because that's relative uh, to dollars. So, 93, I graduated. So, uh, my, my dad um, was not like nice. Nine. They did yeah. not buy him a car. Yeah. He, they're like, you buy your own car. So he got screwed. The first kid always gets screwed. Mike got screwed there. Yeah. But so you he, know the, the No, but the thing is, think about 15, 20 grand. You're going to, Yeah, that's a lot of money. Into high school he, now. That's what? why I'm saying even today for a kid to save that much money, that's and a lot. I, no, yeah. think about the relative how, what dollar, what that can buy. Yeah. I mean, he was buying a Honda Civic for 15, 12 grand. It was Back 15. Then, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're yeah, 25, so. 30 that's, now. But, the, you know, the flip side to it. So you say, you know, you look back, you say, well, you know, parents didn't want to buy your car. And, you know, we, we laugh and joke about it. But, you know, the flip side to that was, well, he drove me around and dropped me off. Yeah. At the lawn businesses. So, which um, is actually more of a pain in the ass which, than if he would have just bought you the so car. You, you so look, he was spending the time. And you look back yeah. at it now yeah. and, it, you know, he taught you lessons of life, discipline. Mm -hmm. He added to my motivation of hustle. Um, and, and realizing that if you work hard that, you know, you, you can, you can, and save, you can actually make a little money. Um, but just this, just the mindset of being motivated, being disciplined and understanding that, you know, it's not going to be handed to you. Um, so, you know, if you can get out there and start tackling it, uh, you know, it's a big thing. And I think one of the best aspects of that was growing, uh, being young, running this business, um, back in the day. I was challenged a lot by age and, you know, the respect wasn't there. You didn't, you didn't, the times are a little different than the young folks now are running a lot more um, and so much more successful. So being with older people and trying to sit and have a business deal and agreement, they, you didn't get the respect back then. So, mm -hmm. but I had the confidence and I think he helped that confidence just by pushing the discipline. And we laugh always, we woke up every day of the weekend and the chore list was there it was almost just like torture like, um, funny because i wake up now with a list no you had to do the list there was no it didn't matter if you have yards that has nothing yeah. to do with the list no, the list like, was yeah. there and you did the list he there was no time limit if you wanted to do this at midnight or you wanted to do the list first thing in the morning you did the list and you got it done and there was no discussions the funny part was the list might be the same the next morning which yeah. you didn't really argue, and you just did the list. So if it meant you need to go rake the leaves under the hedge, but you already raked them yesterday, then just go be like you raked the leaves on their head. So <laughs> yeah. you, you, you just make sure that, you know, you take it out. But you know, those are little things that are, 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 I think they're forgotten in life a lot now, the young kids and stuff, is yeah. that foundation. And, you know, so it's, it's you look back and you realize how important some of those simple that. things are that you were pounded into our head, literally. You know, it, it, it's, it was for the better. Yeah, because I remember... Um, Mike would do the yards on the weekends, and sometimes I wouldn't help. But the summertime, he'd be like, "You want to?" Because the summertime is when you cut the grass more often. Every right? week. Yeah. So your business in the winter, it's every twice a month, and it goes to once a week. So this is where you make your money. So my Mike would sit down and go, "Do you want to help me with the business? Because I need to count you." And I think I was seven years old or eight, and I was—I don't remember even pulling the thing behind the uh, the bike. No, I don't. I don't remember that. But that's why it's funny. But I remember just going there and. I mean, I could do a weed whacker. He taught me how to weed whack and edge. Like, I mean, at seven, I could weed whack. Like, I was good. Like, it wasn't like just do a sloppy job. Like, if I couldn't do a good job, he's like, you're out of here. So my dad was like, when we did a yard, it was like, you don't just go mow the yard. Oh, it's no, you got to get the edger, right? Because yeah. Kenny's oh, no, no. big about that to it this day. I told dad it wasn't even the edger. It was yeah. like between the gravel and the grass, there's this dirt. 
But that dirt's got to be perfect. So you got <laughs> so you mow the yard, you edge the yard, you blow it, and then you take the sucker and suck all this stuff out. Like it wasn't just. He's like, you're not done yet. That's how it was. So Very when we were taught that, yeah. we went to people's yards, and that's what we gave them. Yeah. That like, was the so experience. how much percentage would you give Kenny? It fluctuated. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that part was fair. But <laughs> <laughs> what did I get? I don't even know. This child labor. I th- the laws were different when it's under your own house. That's, um, that's where the I mean, hustle comes in. Money. He got some money. I mean, but he had a fetish with the yard or something. Because even right? before seven, he had his favorite toys, if I recall, for years was a push mower, like little plastic mower. And he would literally follow dad um, the same pattern. And the motor's not doing anything. It's just making noise. He would go out there for an hour and follow the whole entire pattern of the yard behind the dad pushing mower. I forgot. So he would yeah. push this mower at a Harlow young kid. So there was something about grass uh, back then. <laughs> no, he still has something about yeah, grass. Yeah. I'm not kidding you. If Kenny's like mad, he, he like when we had our house, he would get out there and just go like mow the lawn with his earbuds in. Dude, it's a thing for us. I don't know. Now with properties, so. I mean, he I does the do landscaping. Yeah. I mean, no, he does it with our properties too. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. we have a yard guy who helps with some of the, the, the mowing of it, but when it comes to all the plants and stuff that I have in my house, I, yeah, I go out there. It's a meditation process. I'm not sure. It's kind of like being underwater for me. So, Yeah. That was, that That's was, so um, funny. and then I remember, I think Mike, um, I know nine, I officially, I think by nine, you were 13. You were kind of like, I'm done with the yard business. And I took over some, and then I ended up having the church. So nine, I took over. I had four or five yards I couldn't remember. And I'd do the church plus four other ones. So Mike's like, you want them, take them. And I think he gave some to the other neighbor guy that used to drive around his mower yard, our friend down the street. Remember, he used mm-hmm. to do them too. What was his name? I don't guy in the corner. Was, I can't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. That, that was on one Dale or something. 66 or something, right yeah. in the corner. Um, that was always interesting. Um, 166, just that. Our yards, so where we lived in 166, all the yards are connected. So there wasn't many fences. So you can go from, you can just cut streets to cut through yards. So in Miami, if you're being chased by somebody, which oh literally where you're not exaggerating, somebody could be trying to kidnap you. Um, you learned how to cut and chase through yards quickly. Or if you piss somebody off. Maybe get away quickly. Yeah, stealing fruit out of somebody. Multiple times, absolutely. Stealing so, fruit out of people's yeah. yards or stealing lumber <laughs> at a construction site to build your own um, playhouse in the back. And your dad goes, "Where'd you get that lumber?" We just said we. I think somebody gave it to us or something. <laughs> like, it mean, magically appeared full sheets of plywood uh-huh. yeah, half a no, mile away from. We built like a site. fort thing, yeah. but um, no, that was interesting. Do you think? Because people ask us this um, because I think like you're entrepreneur. Nicole does. We're all self-employed. None of us are corporate people. I don't think anybody is. What do you think? Cause yeah, you can't judge it by my clothing today. <laughs> <laughs> this is dressed up too, by the way. Yeah, um, but do you think uh, having dad as corporate for you is kind of like for me, where you're like, yeah, I don't really see how that's a good deal, or like, yeah, I don't know. If, in honestly, many ways, I don't know if that was for me. I think. Um, or was it just working in the business? I mean, yeah. you got know, a I chance. I think that's to, more what it is. I think yeah. you're working in the business and you realize one is, you know, I think that entrepreneur mindset and the motivation sort of, you know, there's an aspect that, that has in, in that thinking that, you know, you want to be able to do what you do for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that was always important drive I had because I realized that the best person that motivated me was myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that was good or bad, but, you know, that was a big part of it. And 
the politics behind corporate, sort of say, the BS, and yeah. that just never was for me. There was a, you know, the, the the fake, the smoke and mirrors and all this. I just, I, I'm the type of guy I want to put on the table. I want to be transparent. I want to be direct and leave your emotions at home and, and treat it like a business. And, you know, and if from that aspect you can find happiness, that's great. But the corporate just never cut it for me. And the more I grew up in this world where I have to treat some of my business like corporate because of liabilities and, uh, yeah. and HR, it's, fun. it's still <laughs> difficult. So I think that's one of the things I explain to people is, you know, employees, listen, it's a business. So you can respect the corporate side, but, you know, we're not trying to be a corporation and, and pen you down and micromanage it. But there's aspects of law that we have to be corporate. And the other aspects are we want you to be who you are. We don't want to micromanage you as an employee. We want you to succeed and be able to do your own thinking. And so I think that's a big balance today that I still try to empower a lot of the employees. And mo a lot of our managers have been with us for 20, 30 years, wow. as long as I've been in the business. So, mm -hmm. you know, for me, that's still a positive nature when you have 10 or 12, 15 people that have been here in today's society that long. And, and you know, they know they're empowered. And I think that's important. I mean, there's, really I mean, cool. so it's kind of funny. So where Mike uh, works is, um, Mike kind of every day, I don't know if you did every day, but you kind of walk the dock, you know? And some people don't know what I'm talking about, but what it is is where Bayside is, is there's a market, but you come to the water and there's just all these boats lined up. So Mike's been walking, we just call, he just walks this dock. So there's fishermen that have fisher boats there that have been, before I've been born, going out and taking people on day fishing um, trips. There's people that have charter. So when I walked there with Mike, you know, these people have known Mike since he's 13 years old. He's been walking these docks. So they saw me. Some of these people saw me that worked for there. I was like a little tiny little. You were a baby. Pain in the ass, probably. Yeah. Well, I'm not yeah. sure when that was. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the tiny but, part. Yeah. No, but it's just. Pain in the ass is still there. It's, but yeah. it's, it's, it's just like that's. It's funny because so many people. You change, you know, you move off. So like we moved off this. So you just see different people. Like Mike's literally been walking like the same dock for. Yeah, I think for, it's important philosophy that you stay in touch. So yeah. it's it's walking. And, and if you're going to manage and understand, number one, you have to have that direct connection to you. Um, number two is you just you want to make sure that the people feel. They know you. And they can reach out to you. And it's not like I want every single issue where someone calling my phone, you know, you want the department to handle it, but I want someone to feel if they need to have a human being conversation or a concern that they can feel comfortable to talk to me. And I also believe in, you know, it's my form of networking and, and, and understanding what's going on in my surroundings, whether it's related to me or not. I want to be a part of it. I want to understand. I want people to know who I am and if I can help them. And, you know, it's just like in the referral business. It's the same way. It all comes back. I believe in good karma, so I think it's just that good karma. Yeah, because we we a lot of your business is um, referrals from a lot of different places. I mean, hotels to concierge to, to an individual to a friend. Individual, it's endless. it's endless. Yeah, it's crazy. So the more you can network, the more you can be respected and and just treat people like human beings. I think they're going to give you the best shot, you mm -hmm. know, in that referral. And it's, you know, it's a hustle of a world. There's other people who do what I do, and there's other businesses and competitors. So any advantage you can have without passing a brown bag under the table, you're going to be ahead of the ballgame. Yeah. And do you think that you being – walking those docks, I just use that as a term, but you being around Miami and being there since you're 13, that's an advantage when you're talking to somebody and building a relationship? Yeah, I think the advantage is I – I mean, I don't say there's any advantages. I mean, I, get, I don't think I'm smarter than anybody else. I think it's – you know, my big thing is the three-dimensional. I think more people need to, 
just become three dimensional, understand your surroundings. And I like that's what's scary nowadays. These kids have a fast pace to get somewhere and they're losing that potential of getting that three dimensional. And it's my business, it's your business, it's the production business. It doesn't matter. The more you can understand the three dimensional of it, it's just you're gonna be well rounded, you're gonna be better, you're gonna be able to have your own advantages. And I think that's where the advantages come through is understanding the bads, the effects, the positives, and, and everything about it. You think everybody's just like so rushed to like have that big business or make the money, and it's not just that simple? Is that what I you're... think that's why we see all sorts of businesses fail, and you know, in the restaurant world, and my world, and I'm sure there's a lot of businesses that fail in the you know the residential world. I know there's a lot of lawyers that fail in the lawyer world. You know, everybody thinks you know you become this and you turn the key, and then you, you got all you got to worry about is having bank accounts. You know, that's, it's not necessarily how it works. So, um, you know, I also tell people, you just got to take a deep breath. Yeah, you got to take a second to make sure you understand what your surroundings are, what you're dealing with, because, you know, it's important. I mean, sometimes you all, you're so focused that you didn't look left or right and you didn't realize that there's, you know, a huge hole in the road, sort of say, you know. And it's just, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes is people just feel that they have every answer that they're not going to learn anymore. And, you know, we hear it every day. You're, you're an idiot if you don't learn every day. I mean, that's just the way it works. Well, I think it's hard, too, because a lot of people who do start businesses are maybe good at one aspect of the business. But when you start a business, there's accounting and HR and marketing and all those other things. And when it's a small business, too, you might be doing all those things or need to do all those things because you can't hire for it yet until you grow. So you really do need to learn every aspect of the business. And that's kind of what we see is it's, it's like the, the carpenter that wants to now be, you know, own his own business instead of all he does is carpentry work every day. He didn't realize that he had to bring in the business and he had to do the accounting and he had to go open the bank account and he had to form the business, like all those things that you have to do on a daily basis. Yeah. And that's a huge part of it. And I would even take it one step farther because let's say some of those aspects, you might be able to hire somebody, right? Right. But it's some of those that are they're not even a business foundation. It's just, you know, personality or right. responding. I mean, how many times do you call somebody and you're like, I mean, to wait two days to get a response in this world? I mean, I left a message three days ago and to this morning I got a call back. And it's like, how do you, I, I mean, if I, that was my business, I'd be out of business. So, we say that all the time. Yeah, so, I'm like, how do these people do this? Right, so I think that's where I say that I don't think there's secrets it's, or, or advantages. It's just understanding what's, What's what's the right way? What's professional? What do people catch on? You know, so people may not know if your accounting's going great behind the scenes, but they're gonna know if you respond, if your word's true, or you're communicating clearly. And that's the other thing I think is important is being transparent. Um, you know, in my business, we are the most expensive in most cases. So you want to sell that, and what is it? And so it's selling. It's not just blowing smoke up someone's ear like a used car salesman. It's you know. Doing what you say, responding and saying, you know what, I don't have your answer, but I want to let you know we're on it. We're gonna we're gonna communicate yep. to you tomorrow, or, or taking those little steps. And a lot of time, people then don't care that you're the most expensive. I mean, look look you know look at San Diego, look at L.A., look at Miami. I mean, we live in pricey cities. People don't mind paying for quality and good service. And I think that's another thing is you capitalize on that. You know, give them what they want, and it's not an issue of money. It's it's so I think that's important. And well, and, and the same token is you give what you say. You know. What, what somebody's paying for, you need to get one. You don't cut corners. Well, and I think, too, I heard um, somebody say this, that there's no advantage to being, like, the second most expensive. You either have to be the cheapest or, or the second most 
you know, the second cheapest, you either have to be the absolute cheapest or you have to be the most expensive because there is an advantage to being the most expensive. I mean, you have to provide that value and it sounds like, you know. Because they know what, they, like you said, they, they know, okay, you're the most expensive, but they know what they're getting for it. But you got to provide that. Yeah, I think you help. You help portray. You know, yeah. you're, you're not, you want to navigate to them so it's not like a sales pitch, but you want to explain to them why you are who which you are. Why do I charge this, you know? I mean, one of my things I tell everybody is we don't have garbage cans on our yachts, you know? I mean, if, if the customer or the guest on a high-end corporate function has to go and throw something in the garbage, that's not good service. That's not high-end. That's not high-end. I don't yeah. want garbage cans. They're gross. <laughs> they got germs, right? So it's little things like that point. that you yeah. portray, you know? Uh, you may go somewhere and you have a nice glass of champagne or you go somewhere sometimes and it's, it's not in a glass or it's in the wrong plastic. It's in a like, plastic You're cup. like, you know, what is this? So it's just simple scenarios and restrooms, you know? It's the same thing. You, you, you don't want garbage cans in restrooms. You need little selected things, but you have fresh hand towels. And, you know, it's just the little things that portray who you are and yeah. why do we have them because it's gross or you know it's this or whatever <laughs> you know i mean so i think it's just it's navigating the folks and understanding but you learn that over time though absolutely you learn so that's what you're time. saying you and you continue that, to learn yeah it. so that and tides change i mean you know some 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 aspects somebody's looking for you know all of a sudden the red flower is more popular than a white flower because of why i don't know but you should be with the times and understand that you know that's what's going on do so. you think you learn do you think your customer teaches you more than anything oh, a thousand percent it's, it's, it's getting it out of the customer and communicating and understand. Do you think some somebody that's coming to you to, that is a pain in the ass, they can actually be a good pain in the ass? You're like, wow, that, they, they know what they want. They're good. But you're like, wow, I didn't think of those things that they're telling me they want. Did you ever get people like that? Or? Sure. I think both of those. I mean, sometimes a pain in the ass also just teach you how to build your what you're telling them off the bat to not even allow someone's mind to go there in the future. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's a big part of it. And I think that's where we go back to the advantages of disadvantages. It's not that somebody's smarter or, or, you know, of course there's better business people, but you know, we all have a lot of the same skills, but when you can pick up on those three dimensional aspects, you yeah. keep setting yourself apart. And, and, and I think that's important. I think that's one of the big things too. I mean, I even think about is you might have that like pain in the ass client, but a lot of times I even think like, are they really a pain in the ass or do I just need to step up my game? Because it's it's such an easy excuse to just go, oh, that guy's a pain. Like, I don't want to deal with him. Instead of going like, what is it that I could have done to keep him from even going into that scenario? And that's the one thing I nitpick at. And our business a lot is, you know, Mitch or somebody else might go, oh, that guy's just a pain. I'm like, no, or maybe you should have been more upfront about this. Or maybe we need to start doing this upfront. Then he won't even have to think about that. That's what we're trying to do now more. You yeah. know, Having- like... Have, like it's the, almost mm. for me i i like when people complain because it gives me the opportunity to improve and to be better and figure out where we need to kind of shift um and i think that that's like a really big thing about being an, an entrepreneur too not everybody wants to deal with those complaints and those things but those are the things that are going to make your business better sure and i always say I, I i always recommend you know you ask the employee what's the definition of a pain yeah <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Because it's probably pretty easy to explain to them and, and relate it to some other aspect of life that's worse and they don't consider that a pain. Yeah. So sometimes it's like, why is it a pain? Yeah. You know, you find the value out of it. And because like going back earlier, you said you can have a pain in the ass client, but sometimes that pain in the ass in the client is so organized that yeah. you just you allow it in one ear out the other and you actually 
it's not that hard. Yeah. It's it's easier because they're <laughs> so what they organized. Want. Yeah. And and then it's the same token where you can tell them like, listen, this is why who we are. We're priced because we can offer what you need. And right. You know, so. Um. Okay. So in 1992, okay, everybody always asks me about this. So I wanted to talk about a couple of things. In 1992, we moved. I think it was 92. I think it was From right. Miami. I know it was 92 because right before Hurricane Andrew. Yeah, it was probably yeah end June, of ninety one or ninety two. Like basically, like I think yeah. it was June of okay. two thousand because Eric Andrew was that in August ninety three. August was it, yeah. it ninety three? Okay, so we moved, we moved from Miami to uh, Thousand Oaks, California. So away from Mike, um, my dad got a job transfer or moved jobs or whatever. Um, so that was a huge change for like our family, everything. So Mike. Everybody always asks me, like, why didn't Mike come and why did he go to California? And I always explain to people because in my view of that time, you were, uh, you were a senior in high school and then there was a business there. And I always said, also, the water's not warm here. Yes. <laughs> so that was involved. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I knew about the water back then. Yeah. Um, but but so, how did that have, like, an impact on just – direction of your life. And also life like your view of it because yeah. we've only ever, I've only ever heard. I know we're saying this yeah. on the podcast, but you guys can now listen so you don't have to ask me anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, that's a huge topic of its own naturally. Yeah. But so, you know, the, the, the quick version of how it happened too, because he, he might as well hear that is I get to sit down at the dinner room table and um, basically say in a couple of weeks, we're, you know, with such and such with the dad's job and this and that, and that we're leaving to Thousand Oaks, California. <laughs> in a couple of weeks. So here I am, I think probably 15 or 16. Maybe I have my driver's license. I don't even remember how I have my driver's license. Senior year is next year. No, you're still, you just, it was summer, so I think you just finished junior, so you're okay. like senior. Okay, so I was yeah. maybe just getting my driver's license, whatever. So um, that was natural an aspect as I had, you know, I had all my friends. I've grown up in South Florida, and, and here I am going into a senior year, and that's your fun year, and junior year was fun. And so, <laughs> you know, for all those good things. Um, <laughs> And it's no secret I wasn't the A honorable student, uh, and you know I, I enjoyed having fun and missing school and all that good stuff. Um, but the other aspect was, you know, being the first child, there was there was you know there was uh, like any family, there was family learning curves, um, and I was in a position of, uh, you know, you're you're a young male and your mind's all over the place, and you know I had been pretty much a terror probably for my parents from from second grade on I've been thrown out of public schools and you know a number of different aspects um so I was a huge challenge and I think my relationship with my parents at that point was probably you know not at the top of the charts um so there was a drive in me that was a rebel I mean, I was always a rebel I was never scared of consequences um as a kid growing up and I just basically told them good luck. I'm not leaving at the dinner table. And they said that you're 15 or 16 and you don't make those choices, but you're going to California. And I said, I'm, unless you plan on tying me up in the trunk, I'm telling you right now, I'm not leaving. And um, that didn't go over too well. I'm sure it didn't. I can't imagine if my so kid said that to I me, what I would we do. Walked, yeah. around, walked away from the dinner table and they, you know, told me I'm leaving and, you know, I went to my room or whatever. I don't remember the exact details. And I don't know how it was handled internally with the parents, you know, because I wasn't there for those discussions. But the somehow the idea of me staying with uh, my aunt and uncle came up, and I'm sure it was 
I can only imagine it was very difficult for my mom, um, oh, yeah. you know, and my dad. Um, but at that point, my relationship was a little different with my father, probably than my mother. And, um, you know, I had a brother and sister that were younger and that were probably angels compared to I was. And, you know, so it was a, it was a different matrix happening. So they kind of developed a idea that I would live with my aunt and uncle, um, and finish your senior year, finish at least. my senior year. Yeah. And that was probably the last part of really, you know, being a family at that point. It was, mm-hmm. um. It was difficult, you know. So you leave, your family leaves, and you're 16, and you, you know, you, 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 that's it. You know, you don't look at it then, but you look back as I got older, and I realized that was basically the end of my relationship of having a brother and sister. Yeah. Because, you know, it, the brother and sister is now far away. Mm-hmm. You see them for a week or two. They're going to have their own lives I'll never be a part of. Um, other than hearing about it. Like visiting, like a distant There's no social media. There's no cell phones. You know, it's a different world. I had a beeper. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So so you're not, there's not a lot of communication with, you know, a younger brother and sister on a beeper. And unfortunately, you know, healing a lot of times is being in the same room or being under the same household or being able to communicate. So being that that relationship wasn't that great with my parents at that point because I was a terror, I don't know if it ever strengthened if, if you know what i mean yeah. if we weren't able to heal some of those situations so we were sort of because of distance apart. really distance and time yeah it didn't help and yeah. you know it, it it was tough it was tough you know just the transition i don't say it was tough living it because honestly the senior year was tough at times when you're like maybe in a moment but i was still radical so senior you year were, you were parents, having fun enjoying your hurricane life. andrew yeah you know if you've ever seen yeah. the movie Project X, uh, throwing parties like that every weekend because there was curfews and, and hot, beautiful neighborhoods where no water power were out for six months. And we just threw massive, massive parties and, you know, had fun and never people. went to school. Uh, we were able to make a lot of money after Hurricane Andrew with hustling and pumping pools. And there was so much, so much there to do as a young, you know, uh, physical motivated young dude and skipping school and making money during school was just it was unbelievable the money you could make so that was contagious and then you know life comes real quick after high school all of a sudden you realize um you're basically an adult you're an adult you're on your own yeah um the our parents were very you know strict and you were out of the house so it wasn't like i was really getting uh funded sort of say um and I learned real quick. I had to move from my aunt and uncle's house. I had to get an apartment. It was probably the worst living experience I ever had in my life uh, at that apartment. Um, very low end, out in Kendall, in a terrible place. Um, so you learn quick. Um, you know, and it really didn't hit me till later in life because my relationship with my brother and sister was distant. Um, you know, my brother and I had always had a good relationship, but it was it was an older brother, younger brother. You know, it wasn't like we got to shen- yeah. spend those quality years when he was older and more mature and, and was able to do other things. And unfortunately, I was pretty much a prick, older bastard. Were you mad at your parents for moving away? I don't think I was mad at you them. You weren't? No, okay. no, no. Because I chose to yeah. stay. I was smarter than that. Um, yeah. But like I said, I was I was pretty bad to my sister. Um, she was not like, you know, <laughs> yeah, a, a scenario. So, yeah, poor Nicole. And I think that was probably one of the biggest things on top of just realizing that I I, I didn't have a relationship with my brother and sister like a normal yeah. family. And um, 
then in life I really realized I was a prick to my sister. And that was probably one of the biggest things that, you know, one day I just woke up and was like, I got to try to bond this a little stronger. And, and, you know, life went on and the family went through some difficulties with the, you know, with the whole parents getting divorced and being away and, and having that scene. So for me, being out here, I didn't have to experience that. So it really started making me older. Yeah. In the sense of you have to figure out life quicker. Um, all of a sudden, you're, you're living paycheck to paycheck. All of a sudden, you know, it, it's a different scenario. And when you have that tough day or that tough scenario, that's maybe when you thought about your family or something like that. Um, so, you know, it builds a little bit of, um, you know, learning to be by yourself, you know. And to this day, I'm still pretty much a, you know, I don't mind being, you know, I don't need the big crowds. I don't need the all the frills. Um, it aged me. It matured me. Um, quickly, and you know it. It was it was you know it was a it was a life changing. You know, more you look back at it, you could do a lot of things different. I think it taught me a lot in life. Taught me a lot of the values of just brothers and sisters, and not oh not only your parents, but how important it is to have you know that relationship. And 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 you don't understand it when you're young, but when you get older, you understand sure. it. Yeah. So um, no, it wasn't mad. And like I said, for the first couple of years, other than just maybe a lonely day, which, you know, wasn't that often, um, you're just on your own. You didn't really have a place because that was what's different. So you kind of bounced around, but I didn't have a place. So if I didn't go out for a holiday to California, which I only went out a couple of weeks a year, I didn't celebrate holidays. I just worked. So that's kind of when that transition of the holidays and the schedule, I think that's the turning point was, is I didn't have those family bonding situations for years and years and years. So, um, you know, from that case, you learn and makes you tougher, makes you all the way to things. And and growing up in Miami, you know, if you don't understand the street, you get run over real quick. So, yeah, that's for sure. Miami is definitely a different place from, I mean, I always just compare it to here because it is kind of like that beach community and all of that, but it is so, so different than here. There's a lot going on. It's full throttle. From a safety perspective, too, it's just wait. I mean, some of the stories that I've heard of Miami, even more recently, not when you guys were kids and there were AK 47s and, you know, bulletproof vests, but there's just been a lot of. Yeah, during. Yeah. I mean, we were kids when, um, you know, when the yeah, drugs, drugs were, and the Colombian cartel. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't even understand a kid. I just thought that was normal because yeah, it I mean, happened that, all the time. That was our neighborhoods where we grew up. I mean, that's all of our friends, everybody. I mean, it's still a crazy city. I mean, it's still. All that stuff still happens. It's just, you know, yeah. it's more undercover or it's, you know, smarter or, you know, it, but it's it's all still there. And, and there's always, it's not just Miami, any big city, there's going to be a safety element. And, you know, you have to respect it. And, you know, having your ear to the ground naturally is going to only make it better. But, you know, I don't think it's just Miami from the safety point of view. But you're right. Miami has a lot going on. And one of those aspects goes to the beautiful water around it. It adds to the potential of all those activities that draw that to be very accessible from you know smuggling drugs or immigrants or whatever it is which happens it's happening right now as we're talking you know it's coming into miami so it's not uncommon i mean we see it every day we know it happens just like our border here it's just exactly just having the same um so now obviously you're married you have two kids obviously that's a huge life changer how um because you've got this business and i think a lot of people that have self-employed business stuff like I think it's they get the business and they get married and they get the kids and 
all the step of the way, they're just trying to figure out work life balance. And obviously, you know, one of you, the thing about your business is it's, it is 365, 24 seven almost. It's not like a lot of people, their business, some of it's Monday through Friday, the weekends they get off, they go hang out with their family, they go back to work. Like sometimes, you, like you just had the ultra musical festival in town, you probably worked with four days, five days, probably worked more than you did doing anything else, 20 hour days. Like, how do you balance it all? Well, I mean, you know, as I, as, as it's a constant balance. Uh, I don't think there's a manual that's going to spell out exactly what it is. Um, you know, I mean, I, the first part is, is I, I've been blessed to have a great wife that understands it. So Sheila's, you know, we were, we knew each other in high school and, and, and so she's always known the business I've been in. So I think she's, had that mindset. Um, I mean, naturally, like any mom or any woman, there's going to be um, there's going to be those times where you you don't understand the balance because you have children, and, and that's human nature. So it's constantly a juggling balance. Um, but yeah, I think my mind and life has changed in the last couple of years, um, realizing that. You know, with Conrad, who's 11 now, the first couple of years, you know, they're they're in the baby stage, and you know, you can you can tell yourself they're not going to really know if I'm working till these hours or doing this. But as he gets a little older, and you realize, okay, I'm going to have to miss that, or I'm going to have to do this. There's a there's a balance. So you, one is you want to try to figure out your own quality time, um, and two is you know you have to change your own lifestyle. So um, you have to learn to continue to delegate. You have to learn to continue to say. I'm just not going to be able to do that like maybe I did before. Um, and you you don't want to jeopardize what you've grown this business. Um, but I think it's communicating to the kids too to understand that, you know what, I might only be here for 20 minutes while I open the presents and then I've got to work on Christmas Day. Or I've probably, I don't know if I've ever spent a New Year's Eve, you know, with my kids. Yeah. So you you try to communicate it and tell them, listen, I mean, you know, to, to have a great life and, you know, to be able to do some good things that we're going to have to make some of these sacrifices. But, you know, that's just the day on the calendar. We can have Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and go have our own fun and, and, and celebrate Christmas. So I think if we've done a good job in our household to not give certain days and weekends this strong label that life does that becomes challenging as a business owner when an employee comes and tells you. So yeah. we've portrayed that. But it's a balance. I mean, you know what I do, and, and it, it's tough. So, um, And I still try to go on a trip here and there and, and, and have fun by myself. So, um, you know, it really goes back to having a good mom as far as Sheila to her kids and, and having a good wife that understands that, you know, the give and takes. And, you know, I'm sure there's times where she has to turn her head and, you know, deal with it or, or say something <laughs> under her breath. Or, but you got to, you know, you got to expect that. That's human nature. Um but I think it's important that you don't lose sight of it because before you know it, the 11-year-old's 16 and the, the 6-year-old's 10, and it's gone like that. So um, on top of you know other factors of life with your family, you realize that you, you, you may have to make business sacrifices or you may not be able to do that you know, or you may not be able to grow that part of it if you want to balance it. So, I mean, it comes down to, you know, your own thoughts sometimes, realizing what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. So, um, you know, and having kids, whether it's medical situations or whatever, you know, that's a big variable of it too that's constantly changing or growing or maybe getting better. So, you know, you you, you 
you really got to understand every day is going to be a juggling act and and you know you try to put your priorities in the right places um and you try to you know it's really just communicate to them what it is and how not to look at it i think but you know it's not an easy thing i don't think it's easy for anybody and and i don't i think it's one of those things in life that there will never be a manual written for and i don't think there's ever any like real balance i mean kenny and i talk about that because we're like i hate that word balance because it's like really truly there is no balance like you're just trying to make the right decisions and prioritize things right and hopefully at the end of the day you didn't screw it up too much you know it's kind of like I think that's one of the other things, just not to change the subject, but like people talking about why other businesses fail is because I think a lot of people don't understand that when you own your own business, it is 24-7, 365. It's not like I turn my phone off at 5 o'clock and I don't think about work again until the next day at 9 a.m. or 8 a.m. or whatever it is. It's constant. So there is juggling. Maybe you have your kid to take to a doctor's appointment, but you got to take this call to make sure something, you know, something went wrong too. It's like you have to kind of, juggle those things and there is no balance it's just a juggling act like you said and sometimes balls drop and then you got to deal with that yeah so and i think you know some of the balances which i'm not a big technology guy but i mean let's just take the cell phone the cell phone could be positive or negative the cell phone could be very positive because you could be somewhere we're with your family doing something and it's on silent and you could still be productive to a certain point but then the other side is, is that cell phone becomes attached to you 365 days, and then it can be looked at as a disrespect, which, you know, walking to the airport the other day, I saw like a thousand people slinched over looking at their phones and it reminded me how <laughs> dangerous everybody. it is, right? Yeah. So yeah, I'm guilty on that one. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and I think, I think that's part of it. Um, so a cell phone for me has allowed me to have an upper hand with the balance and managing yeah. it. Now, then it's... It's frustrating. Like you think everything's good and then like you mentioned at midnight, there's a problem behind the scenes and people don't realize and you're on the phone and I'm in a boating and I mean my liability and everything is it's, it's just – it never stops. Right. So I mean I have – there's moving parts and people out on the boats and waters. I mean the liability is just endless yeah. and endless and they're in, they're in different individuals' hands. They're not in my hands. It's different captains and different this and drinking and having fun and you know, on and on and on. So it's – yeah, it's a balance. Um, but then there's the flip side, too, that you don't have to ask somebody for time off. You don't have to request that vacation that might not get approved. I mean, so th- that's kind of the trade-off, I think, of the 24-7, 365 is even with us when we're traveling. I mean, I think we were in Paris answering the phone at 4 a.m. because our manager didn't answer the phone for an emergency. And it's, you know, it's kind of irritating. But, like, we're in freaking Paris, okay? I didn't have to ask anybody for permission. I didn't have to wait and see if Just it got approved. It. So yeah. those are the things. Or if, you know, something happens with Harlow and I have to rush out to take her to the doctor I don't have to go ask my boss if I can leave so there is that kind of flip side and it's it's really like which which do you prefer do you want to get off work and not have to think about it or do you want to have your own business and create your schedule to fit your life yeah and I, I agree 100 I think that for me it's that's you know I, I made the second one right yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's what I talked about as, as yeah. a younger in life when we, when we were talking earlier I think you know, I realized at a young age. Yeah. I mean, I was very three-dimensional as a young kid, and I realized that having a boss or, you know, that may not be cool or a micromanager, I myself would not be productive. Yeah. Like, I'm just – I'm not going to be productive. My, my, my skills and my capabilities are being a leader, and, and that's, that's what it is. And, and so I think being tied down or feeling like you are – maybe it could have been the best scenario. It just wasn't me. So – I, I I prefer that second route, and you know I've never been afraid of it. Um, 
hundred percent to be able to dictate your own schedule and and and. It sounds take like you were a rebel from the beginning. So are you probably being tied down age. with parents, probably. Yeah. <laughs> it, it might so. have been what it did. <laughs> um. So I think a lot of people too that are um, that are uh, own businesses. I think they this is the one thing when they get started with business, they have the problem is is like when they look at somebody like you, you got all these employees, just all this liability, and and also too. The other thing that you talked about one time is like when we had our property management business, you're like, hey, imagine it's a pain in the ass to manage properties, but imagine taking properties that are floating on water, you know, and then add in, oh, there's a hurricane coming and I got to move all these boats up the river. Like you deal with all this stuff and it just ebbs and flows. It doesn't matter. You can get a call now that the engine broke and there's people, 100 people in the middle of you got to get them out of there. How... um now that you have experience and been doing this, how are you dealing? How do you deal with this? Because a lot of people, I think, they just struggle with just dealing with problems. Yeah. Well, my my it's preventative maintenance. So you can look at it. I have you know from a machinery point of view, or you can look at it from an employee point of view. So however you want to define preventative maintenance, and it doesn't just mean you know how do you do maintenance on an employee? Well, it's defined from the you know a, a large scenario is what's the environment. You know, so you have a beautiful environment in this office. That's that's a, that's a preventive maintenance, right? So you want somebody to come in and feel positive, right? So I think, you know, maintaining machinery and employees and properties and the liability is one. You got to have a good team. You got to build that team that has heart and has the same mindset that you know what, they're not on this little start and stop clicker going, oh, it's past my time, I got to leave, or you know, or this or that. So developing that that heart within the employee to help you handle those situations is a huge thing. So you talk about hurricanes in my business is a nightmare. It's a nightmare. How do you predict the hurricane? When is it going to come? When do you shut your business down? When do you put everything away? All these employees aren't going to get paid. Their livelihoods. You know, how are they going to have power? How are they going to have food? All of a sudden, I'm not just worrying about my business. I'm worrying about every aspect of it, right? So it's the same thing. I had an employee call me. Hey, can I borrow ice? Can I borrow this? Well, if I tell this employee I borrow ice, now am I going to have ice for 250 employees? So you know, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, it's this resource management. Um, and to add to the trip part, the two seconds is last year or two years ago in Fiji, Ugh. I took my one big trip a year. Halfway through it, Hurricane Irma. I kept watching. I kept watching it. I was well, 70 turning. miles from Fiji on an hour island. Had to get an emergency helicopter to pick me up off that. Go to Fiji, buy a one-way ticket to L.A. 40 hours of traveling. 40 hours of traveling to get back with like a day and a half of prepping my whole entire business for hurricanes. Granted, the team had already started it and you know, stayed up for the next 50 hours as the storm came to put everything away. I remember driving home from my, my the, our, the place in the Keys, which was the last. My personal property becomes last. That's the last I worry about. The family was sent. You know, They got in the car. You're literally screwing sent to in Georgia. the wood. And as the, I'll never forget this, my, I'm screwing in the last piece of wood on the Keys house. Every part of my body has cramps because I'm so dehydrated. I'm so tired because I just traveled from Fiji. The time, the time lapse is 16 or hours behind. I have, I brought two bundles of bananas from this only 7-Eleven open or uh, uh, gas station in Homestead because it was all curfewed. Um, and I hear my phone. I'm standing on the top of the ladder trying to put this piece of wood in. I'm cramping. I can't even press the drill. And I hear my phone beep. So I kind of climb down the ladder. And I know I'm, I'm so dangerous right now standing on this ladder. I'm, I'm on the top of the ladder, like way past what I should be doing safe. And I look at the text, and it's reminding anybody left in the Keys that there's not a hospital open. Every hospital has been closed and evacuating the Keys. 
So I read that text. I thought about my family. And I just said, you know what? Those last screws aren't getting done. I climbed down the ladder and buttoned up the rest and got in my car and just started heading back to, you know, the mainland. And um, nobody on the road. There was not one car on the road in the Keys. So if you've ever been in the Keys, I didn't pass a car from Island Marotta, which is, you know, 70 miles to Homestead. I never passed a car. Wow. I, I don't couldn't tell you when that would ever occur any other aspect in life. Keys, this would be thousands of cars. So I remember I'm cramped up, and that was the point where I just that text message brought me off the ladder. I was standing on the ladder, top of the ladder. And I said, you know what? Screw this house. Screw everything. If that's what meant to be, I'm climbing down this ladder. I'm getting in my car. That was my call. That it's not because if I fall off the ladder or whatever, it's not worth it. And you know. It's just a reminder that it took that little text message to go, get off this ladder, get like, in your what car, are you thinking? and get yeah. out of here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's the part where, you know, I'm halfway through your trip, this trip I've been waiting for, and I had to sacrifice it. So it's having a good team. It's having a good plan, having plan A, having plan B, having plan C, remaining calm, and and just, you know, thinking it out ahead of time. You know, what's yeah. going to be the scenario? And, and so it – that is probably one of our strongest aspects of our business is, is preventative maintenance, you know, whether it's employees, properties, machineries, because in our business, we're 365 days. It hurts if a machine's not working for a day or a week or a month. That is something yeah. that I've grown up is unacceptable in our business. And I contend you to portray that, that if there's a boat down or there's a machinery, it's all hands on deck you're, you're, you're to on make there. sure you're that we're going to get it. If I have to be on there to change a motor or whatever Almost it is, cut his finger off. <laughs> you're on there and you're doing it. So, yeah. you know, and, and, and of course it's, it's having the resources and this and that, but that's a huge part of, of just the pre-planning, having a great team. Um, and, and, you know, it goes back to the three dimensional. I like to talk about is just, Thinking about okay, well maybe the employees. Let's let's not turn off the ice machines. Let's let them run until the storm turns them off because all that ice could be used up to the last second by those employees. You know, just, just little things like that that you 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 realize it's not just this, it's that. You know, so it's a, it's it's a big part of my business. So let's do our rapid fire questions because I know we got to start wrapping this up. Um, What's the number one piece of advice you'd give somebody starting out a business? I'm sure you get it asked all the time. Um, I would say, you know, is do your due diligence. Do your due diligence. Yeah. That's good. That's what a lot of people say. Yeah. Of the yeah. business, yeah. of like if you're going to buy the business or start a business, no. Research it. Yeah. Understand it. Go be a customer. Go visit it. Who's yeah. your competitor? Do your due diligence. Not just – not just a paper business model that says you're going to make $10 at, you know, every hour at this, but, you know, go shop your customer, go, go be that customer yeah. every which way and, and, and understand it. Yeah. I think, and, and there's never enough due diligence. What's the number one problem you deal with in your business? Human resources. Yeah. That's what everybody says. Yeah. Everybody tells us. It's this. a tough element is the human yeah. resources. Everybody yeah. says that. Um, why do you think people fail in business? One is, well, it goes back to the lack of due diligence, but I would also say that a lot of people are just, they're cocky. They think they've got to figure it out or they look over and say, you know what, that business is, oh, I could, uh, that, this, this, uh, I could do this, yeah, you know, yeah. like, oh, I could, all I need is a, you know, blue tennis shoes and these guys are wearing yellow tennis shoes and it's a done deal. But, you know, and it, it correlates not with not doing your due diligence. Yeah. You know? 
and you have to put up with that because you have competition come in, they'll do stuff for cheap, and you're like, and you know they're not going to make it, but you still have to deal with that. Like, I don't know if enough owners nowadays put themselves in the perspective of their own customer. I think that's a big part of failure. Yeah. That's a good point. I agree. Um, what's the best part of your business? The best part of the business is, is the, the morning walk, being myself. That you talked about walking the dock. It's it's that it's that walk through. Just you know, you, get to see you it just all. realize what you're a part of. You realize what's grown, and and then you just realize that you're still hands on. Um, I'm gonna add a question in. What's the best? Uh, ready for this one? What's the best high school prank you did? <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple I'm good ones. Oh now. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I know there's a couple. There's but. a couple, but I, you know, there's a couple. The, 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 I, I probably won't go to the one you want me to go to, but the, the four legs. But yeah. um, you know, the other one that one of my favorites was we we was the magnitude of it. Um, you know, we did quite a few, but we the, the the high school had two, three large parking lots. You know, maybe a couple, three, four hundred cars in each parking lot, and you know, in, the, in each parking spot you have the concrete. Um, curb where it, it marks yeah. where you stop so we got about 40 50 guys and like 10 pickup trucks and you know 40 crowbars and we met at the high school around 2 a.m and we pried up each stone there's a piece of rebar that they go yeah. over so we pried them up over the rebar put them in the truck and we built our own curb cabin sort of say as three four stories high in front of each gate so each concrete piece might weigh 100 pounds or whatever it is. So we would took two and two and two and stacked it Tetris. to where Tetris until it was about three or four stories high with ladders and trucks and box trucks and all the guys. And we did that in front of each gate. So what that did was in the morning, the school was closed down. So the teacher's parking lot was closed and all the kids' parking lots were closed. And we knew that we had 40 or 50 guys to do this, you know, young High school guys. There's like two or three maintenance guys <laughs> yeah. and like two or three male, oh you know, God. principals. And it's not necessarily a female can't do it, but it's it's a lot of going on, right? So it's it's five or six people versus forty or fifty. It's gonna be a, a shit show in the morning. So this was like one of the mornings where every rebel and every student was on time early, like wanting to go to school because yeah. we had to see the reaction. So even though we were up at two. Everybody was there on time, which I don't know if that ever happened for me any other day of the week. But um, that was probably one of the best because school was just shut down. It was total chaos. They didn't know what they could do. Um, Did you guys get caught? It's We never got caught. Um, <laughs> I, I was put in front of a panel and, and tried to be threatened on a whole bunch of different pranks that I was going to be suspended and all this good stuff. But, you know, I learned a long time ago, you just you don't – don't admit it and uh, <laughs> look good. And uh, I kept smiling and I uh, said, I don't know what you're talking about. And they, they, they couldn't really prove anything. So, um, and I think our mom can contribute to my graduation. I probably had the most handshakes to, on stage that they were very happy I was not part of that high school anymore. So <laughs> I don't think they wanted me there another year. Yeah. Um, what's the biggest fish You've speared or caught, or what's your probably favorite we catcher? Didn't get into that, I guess. No, no, I know, but what's your I um what's your favorite fish probably to spear? So spear fishing, yes, that's that's one of my passions and yep. hobbies. Um, probably this a swordfish or you know that something like that. Um, 
maybe some tunas, nothing too crazy. I mean, my friends would probably have a lot larger, but, um, you know, 200 pound tunas and maybe a swordfish somewhere around there, but not, nothing too crazy. I've been a part of a lot of big fish, but how long have you been fishing for? My, I'd say fishing. I've grown up my whole life as a kid. I think I love fishing in canals and stuff. We like used to go with that and stuff. So I think fishing and just being a part of the water has been since I can remember as, you know, as young as I could be remember. Yeah. And then spear fishing is spear that... fishing. I was more like, um, you know, probably right into the junior high. I had a little taste, and then high school, I had a lot more taste, and then it just blew up from there. I realized right. that was more more of my passion you guys prefer to fish i mean free dive than fish now almost i prefer yeah absolutely be under the water chase and kill yeah i'm like "Mm." i mean you really somebody's got to eat fish you're seriously (laughs) downplaying this whole spear fishing thing but it is fun (laughs) oh no big deal just like a 200 pound fish no uh, no but i mean that's you really catch a 10 pound but once again it's it's it's, it's, but once again it's practice yeah once again i'm not you know like i said i'm part of it so if i'm just part of the experience and and that i'm cool with it so i think my friends can tell you that and i have to say one thing about spear fishing uh for the last question um it's actually, I didn't really even pay attention to this, but until the last maybe few times I've been or the, before that, is actually, it's a really good teamwork sport because when you spear a fish, when you're you're not, this isn't tank dive or they're not on a rope. It's like the A lot Hawaiian of times you have sharks coast. around and things. No, not even that. A fish in the Bahamas can go under the rock. You're not a fish. So you can't just go down there and hold your breath for nine hours. So people work the fish and get it out. It's like it becomes more of like a teamwork. It's kind of fun. It can be. Yeah, and I think we do it to an element where we push it to that element where yeah. you've got to have some good team members and you can trust because, like Crystal said, I mean, there is wildlife that may want to – consume you um (laughs) but also it's the safety aspect i mean you're on one breath and and you want to make sure that you know somebody's adrenaline doesn't overtake their their mindset that they need to breathe so um yeah i mean it's absolutely the from the safety side to a a teamwork side i think that's what we've learned to make it fun that you know people can go do it by themselves but i think part of our passion is is made that sport to where it's teamwork and target big fish target tough areas lots of current dirty water whatever that might be that adds that element of teamwork and aren't you guys using these like old school like Sling uh, well, Bahamas or... is it's, you cannot use a spear gun, so you have to use a pole spear and a Hawaiian sling, which is what our passion is, which is what we've yeah. grown it's up harder, with. It's harder, but it's not spear fun. guns. Yeah. Blue water is the spear guns, which we do, but the passion is doing you know, the, the, it's sort of like a bow and arrow underwater, so yeah. yeah, it's pretty fun. You have to shoot the fish and chase the fish, so it's pretty cool. It's crazy, yeah. Um, what's your why? And I ask everybody this question, what I mean, what's your why is is why I think is why do you get up and like. Do what you do. Do what you do. Hustle every day. Oh, man. I think I think for me it's just, you know, being part of a, a, a great moving machine. Um, I'm exposed to so many different crazy sides that don't even really, you know, take a celebrity side. Like I could, I'm not a person. I could care less. And we're, we're, we're around them all the time and constantly. But it's just being part of a successful machine that I've been – I feel I've been a big part of growing. And – Every day I know there's like that potential of another great thing because you, you, you're, you're, you're rolling in that direction and, you know, you, you never know when the phone's going to ring and say, hey, uh, you know, can you do a ferry service for five days for this festival or this? And, you know, it could be this huge contract that just, boom, it pops up on your phone because of that scenario. And it's not, you shouldn't even be surprised. That's just how it works. So I think being blessed and, and being part of that a growing machine that I was a big part of, 
I think that's part of the motivation waking up. Is there anything um, next to your business? I know some of the things are you're getting more and more, like you just said, more opportunities for just bigger events and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's finding those different avenues. I mean, South Florida is still way, way behind on the water taxi scene. Like if you travel, you know, New York, even, New York right? and I mean, Seattle, Washington. I mean, they're, they're, there's just they've, they've taken it to new levels. I mean, people's lives revolve around using water taxis and it's a okay. huge, huge business billions and billions of dollars people don't realize but south florida has just been so far behind and so you know that's something that's on the horizon um and it's also just you know miami is a vibe miami's 365 so it's you know if you run the right business and 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 aspect people want to come from all over the world to party on a yacht you know if they're having a week convention it's kind of the dream right well and nowadays nobody wants to stay in a hotel ballroom for five nights that's how it used to be you know you know back in the day but Maybe one night the fount blew, and then it's like, hey, this is Miami. I mean, we want to go out Be and on experience, the water. right? Or water, yeah. or Wynwood, or you know, there's so many yeah. cool venues, rooftop and the wharfs. I mean, so I think you know, just being a part of that vibe, and and then you know, it's like anything, you become part of that inner circle of a, a good team, and you know, it's motivating. Yeah, we had a a girl on. Was it last week? Who was it? Yeah, Angela. Angela. Yeah. So. People are coming here with conventions or business or companies, and she says, you know, they're here for two or three days, and they're like, yeah, we just don't want to go to dinner and drink cocktails and do this every day. So what they're doing now is they're like, we're in San Diego. What she curates experiences yeah, for them. We want to go do yoga on the beach. We want to go do a hike. We want to go 40 or 50 of us want to go kayak or this. Um, so she's doing all this event planning for all these type of things because people want a different yeah. experience. So that's what my business is. I'm the exactly. person she's calling to help provide that. So Miami, exactly. it's very similar. Yeah, well, it could be fishing, golf, yoga. Mm-hmm. Do they do uh, yoga every night? A beer tour. You know, uh, it's, 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 it's endless what they do. You know, if it's uh, that should be a good idea. Yoga on his boat. On a yacht. Sounds yeah. amazing. It might. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks, thanks for, for doing me. this. Thanks I'm like, doing I was kind of surprised when you agreed to. I so I was like, I figured he wouldn't up. expect it. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Hopefully everybody enjoys it. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.